This is an ABC podcast. Hey, John here. Just doing a quick video on my journey from a tobacco smoker to an e-cigarette vapor. Hey guys, it's Lane. Today, I'm going to be trying vaping for the first time. Hi, my name's Kaz and welcome to my channel Oz Vaping with Kaz. So everybody knows that vaping is a great way for adult smokers to quit their nasty cigarette habit. But everybody doesn't know that vaping is also a freaking sport, man. Got a quick question for you. Do you vape? How to vape 101. This is only going to take a couple minutes. By the end of this video, you're going to know how to vape if you don't already know how to do so. Audio from YouTube. Videos from the subculture that's developed around vaping, the use of e-cigarettes. If you're interested, you can watch endless hours of personal stories, smoke-blowing demonstrations, tutorials and product reviews. But there's a dark side to vaping, as we'll hear in this rear vision with me, Kerry Phillips. E-cigarettes haven't been with us for long, but the controversy over their regulation and use has grown, especially after thousands of vaping-related hospitalizations and 60 deaths made headlines in the US last year. Are e-cigarettes a healthier alternative to cigarettes? Maybe a way to even kick the nicotine addiction? Or are they a way of capturing a new generation of smokers just as regular cigarette smoking rates are declining? Although tobacco companies had been researching similar products since the 1960s, the man who successfully developed the first e-cigarette had a therapeutic use in mind. Linda Bald is Professor of Public Health at the University of Edinburgh. Tobacco companies have been trying to make alternatives to cigarettes for many decades, actually. And some of the early patents or early products that were similar to e-cigarettes really emerged in the 1960s. But it wasn't until 2003 that the current products that are available on the market were developed. And they were developed in China by a Chinese pharmacist called Hong Lik, who was uh, worried about his own smoking. And he unfortunately had his father die of lung cancer. And he, he was an inventor. He worked in a pharmacist and company that produced ginseng products. And through time, he um, developed something that was essentially the first modern e-cigarette. And he had that patented. And it became available. It was called Ryan, which literally means like smoke in Chinese. And then after, from about 2004, it began to be marketed. And we saw e-cigarettes, the early, what we call first generation e-cigarettes, arriving in the US and, and European markets from around 2007. I certainly saw an e-cigarette for the first time, actually, not until 2010. And in terms of our statistics in Europe, we start to see recordable levels of use from around 2010. There are now dozens of different kinds of e-cigarettes, including some that look like pipes, pens, memory sticks, and even regular cigarettes. Yeah, there are many different types of devices now. We're probably into our fourth generation of e-cigarettes, but they all have something in common. Essentially, what they do is they vaporize nicotine. So they have a battery which heats a coil, uh, produces a current, essentially, and there's a tank or a capsule which has propylene glycol, vegetable glycerin, flavorings often, although you can get flavorless e-cigarettes, and in some but not all cases, nicotine. And that's heated, and it produces, when the user puffs on the device, produces a vapor, and the user obviously ingests nicotine, which is why most people vape. They breathe it in. It doesn't produce side stream smoke the way that tobacco cigarettes do. Some devices produce very little vapor, and some produce very substantial clouds. 
Yes, I think that's one of the things that an observer will notice about e-cigarettes is that the user is often wreathed in an absolute cloud of smoke. Why is that? Well, I think the first thing is it's not smoke. That's really important. You know, tobacco smoke has over 4,000 toxicants and carcinogens in it. E-cigarettes, the vapour produces some of that, but not, not to the same level. I think that the market has evolved in demand to what consumers want. And obviously with smoking, you have a sort of history of tricks, don't you? Smoking tricks, people blowing smoke rings and that sort of thing. And clearly there are some consumers of e-cigarettes who like the fact that a large amount of vapor can be produced. You can modify the devices actually to produce even more vapor. And if you look online, you'll see people performing tricks, often called cloud chasing. Um, However, other consumers, women, for example, or others who want to be more discreet, really favour devices that produce very little vapour at all. So the products seem to have evolved in the market in response to consumer demand and preferences. Oh, yeah, there are thousands of different kinds, it seems. Dr Tom Novotny is a professor emeritus of public health at San Diego University. There's things such as cigalikes that look like a cigarette and that are disposable, There are refillable tank-based systems that you can put other kinds of stuff in them, such as THC or tetrahydrocannabinol, the cannabis derivative, or other kinds of flavors. There are disposable pods, like with Juul, where different flavored nicotine solutions can be plugged into what looks like a USB drive and are easy to conceal, too. I mean, the USB looks like something that would be just an electronic uh, data storage device, but it's actually a nicotine delivery device. So there's lots of different kinds. They keep coming out with new ones. They keep coming out with new names. One of the more recent ones is the heat-not-burn device that Philip Morris has been trying to promote called ICOS. And this is actually contains tobacco that is heated up but not burned and delivers much like a you know an e-cigarette, but it's actually tobacco that is delivering the nicotine and the flavor, the tobacco flavor. The interesting thing about that one is that when you look at the device, it really looks like an iPhone, uh, and it's got <laughs> you know the same sort of design characteristics, which makes it uh, attractive to young people. We have a problem in our country. It's a new problem. It's a problem that nobody really thought about too much a few years ago, and it's called vaping especially vaping as it pertains to innocent children. The parents don't know too much about it, and nobody knows too much about it, but they do know it's causing a lot of problems. And we're going to have to do something about it. We want to have parents understand that we're studying it very carefully. People think it's an easy solution to cigarettes, but it's turned out that it has its own difficulties. President Trump responding to the surge in vaping by American teenagers. In last year's National Survey of Youth Smoking by the US National Institutes of Health, over 5 million teens said they'd vaped nicotine in the previous month, and nearly 12% reported doing so daily. The youth vaping market has continued to grow alarmingly, largely through the US Food and Drug Administration's failure to regulate. FDA has the authority to regulate tobacco products, and in May of 2016, during the previous administration, the FDA declared that it had the authority to do this. And so we expected then, at that time, that the FDA would have a full-bore regulatory approach towards these products, but it didn't happen. It got postponed through a variety of pressures from the legislative branch and lobbyists and 
people involved in this in these industries such that there was a grace period allowed. I can't remember exactly what the date was, it kept getting pushed forward and forward. Well, now, finally, the limitation is in May of 2020, any uh, e-cigarette product that wants to call itself either reduced harm or helpful in assisting smokers has to provide all of its material, research and marketing and other kinds of material to the FDA by May of 2020. So that'll be interesting to see. Now, the FDA did exert some authority by saying that these things are tobacco products. State and local jurisdictions were able to then say, well, we are going to apply the same kind of laws in terms of minimum age for purchase. The FDA recommended this being age 21, and that's still sort of up in the air. But nationally, we now have this age 21 requirement for all tobacco products to be sold. And so e-cigarettes fall into that category. But what really happened was a big delay and really very disappointing to those in the public health community who expected the FDA to have its regulatory authority exercised in the case of e-cigarettes. What were the consequences of that delay? Well, there weren't any restrictions on their advertising as a product. You know, they weren't immediately recognized as a tobacco product. They were really hitting the internet as, as it was being exercised as a marketing tool. There was a significant amount of internet, online advertising, a direct-to-consumer advertising, and uh, even on commercial advertising venues such as radio and TV. I remember seeing these ads. They featured sexy movie stars and masculine guys. It was really reminiscent of the tobacco ads from the 50s and 60s before they were banned on all radio and television. Tonight, new alarm about the risk of vaping after an emergency at this Houston area high school. Officials say a student was suddenly sickened after vaping. The federal government today warned Americans not to use e-cigarettes following several mysterious deaths linked to vaping. Researchers with the CDC tested 29 patients with vaping illnesses from 10 different states and all had vitamin E acetate in their lung fluid. 18-year-old Seema Herman vaped nicotine, then THC, over two years getting sicker and sicker, ending up on life support on a ventilator. Over 2,500 Americans have been hospitalised with a vaping-related illness, frequently but not exclusively tied to using liquids containing cannabis derivatives. 60 people have died. In September, President Trump announced some restrictions on the fruit and dessert-flavoured liquids popular with teenagers, but has since distanced himself after industry pressure. Tom Novotny says state and local health authorities haven't been waiting for the federal government. Well, this is a, a mishmash of lots of different approaches. Both state and local authorities have the ability to regulate the sales of tobacco products. This is written into the 2009 law that I mentioned to you. And so because of that, many states and many local jurisdictions have taken actions such as banning the sale of flavors. They can do this for regular cigarettes. They can do it for e-cigarettes. They understand that kids are attracted to the flavors of bubble gum and mint and whatever else. And so sales bans can be a way of restricting these products from availability. They, again, can put age limits on when people can buy them. They can restrict their use in public places just as they can with cigarette smoking. And so that's happened at a lot of different places. Massachusetts, for instance, as a result of the concern about the vaping injuries, uh, is putting a temporary ban on all e-cigarettes. Some cities have done the same thing. 
Beverly Hills has actually banned all tobacco product sales. So there are lots of local and state actions that have happened. It just varies from state to state and local agency. Here in San Diego, our education department is uh, bringing a lawsuit against Juul because of their addictive efforts with our school children and the fact that we can now find so much evidence of their use among school-age kids. The 12th of May will be a watershed moment for the vaping industry in the US. No vaping product can remain on store shelves beyond that date if it hasn't been submitted for review by the Food and Drug Administration. This is Rear Vision with Kerry Phillips on Radio National RN. E-cigarettes and vaping. It's a controversial subject, even among public health experts, as we'll hear shortly. But first, what's the situation in Australia? Is it legal to buy e-cigs, e-liquid or vaporizers containing nicotine in Australia? The short answer is yes and no. Follow these guidelines and you're good to go. Inside Australia, it is illegal to sell, advertise, and import resale electronic cigarettes and related products that contain nicotine. If you want nicotine in your e-liquid, you'll have to import them from outside Australia. To import, follow these guidelines. You must order them from an international company from outside Australia. In Australia, nicotine is classified as a poison, and in theory, you can only get nicotine vaping liquids with a doctor's permission. Emeritus Professor Simon Chapman from the School of Public Health at the University of Sydney. You can buy the apparatus, the mechanics, the the gadget that will deliver that mixture to you, but it's illegal to sell in Australia nicotine liquid. So what people do, are they're bringing it in from overseas. And of course, that opens up a whole... Pandora's box of well, what is it that they're bringing in? You know, are they bringing in stuff which is um, past any standards of uh, purity of manufacturer? Is it been just mixed up in kitchen sink or bathtub labs in you know in China or somewhere else? We don't know, but people are taking that risk because they're being swept along with claims and rhetoric that this is you know a safe product. This has uh, got minimum amount of danger. We hear the the term ninety five percent less dangerous than smoking. Well, I've done a forensic analysis of that number and looked at its origins, and really there is nothing behind that number other than the estimates or guesstimates of a hand-picked bunch of 12 people who are convened by people who are very pro-e-cigarettes. You can legally import nicotine vaping liquid if a doctor has prescribed it to help you quit smoking. What evidence is there to support the therapeutic claims for e-cigarettes? The two main claims are that they are much, much less dangerous than cigarette smoking. Well, just about everything is much less dangerous than cigarette smoking. It's the Mount Everest of danger. But those claims really can only be tested into the future because if you look 20, 30 years on from the advent of the uptake of cigarette smoking at the beginning of last century, Lung cancer was a rare disease until around about the 1930s, and then it started really galloping ahead. And of course, today it's the number one cause of cancer death, lung cancer. And so we need to understand that the disease is caused by pulling stuff into your lungs, uh, not typically acute diseases like, you know, getting influenza or a communicable disease. They are things which start taking 
effect many, many years hence. There are biomarkers of those things that we can measure early, and some of those are coming in now, particularly for respiratory and cardiovascular disease, which are starting to alarm a lot of people who are working with those sort of studies. The other claim is that they are fantastic ways of quitting smoking. And of course, there are many people who will put their hand up and say, look, I, I tried to quit using all sorts of ways and I failed, but I did succeed with e-cigarettes. And of course, those cases are true. But what we have to look at when we look at claims like that are we have to take large samples of the population follow them for, say, 12 months and find out what happened to the typical person who is using these products. And one such study, which was published about a year ago, showed that around about 18% of people who were using e-cigarettes had a positive outcome. They got off smoking, or if they were smoking and vaping, they just went solely onto vaping. So we would count those as sort of positive things. But 38% of people had a negative outcome. They went back to smoking, or if they were only vaping, they took up smoking as well. Those sorts of outcomes we would count as negative. But the biggest bunch was 44% of people who just kept on doing what they were doing. So the concern there is that the net effect of vaping across a population will benefit some people, but it may be holding a lot more people in smoking than it tips out of it. Simon Chapman thinks Australia is taking the right approach to e-cigarettes. Well, if you look at the number of children who are vaping regularly in the United States where they virtually don't regulate e-cigarettes at all, compared to the number of children who are doing it regularly in Australia, there is just no comparison. We're doing the right thing in this country by trying to prevent uptake. In Australia, where it's very, very heavily regulated, the point that you're not really allowed to sell nicotine liquid at all, we see far more children who are regularly vaping in the United States, a far greater percentage than we see in Australia. So I think that nobody can look at that data and think, well, yeah, let's go down the American road. That's the way to go. Tobacco is still the leading cause of premature death, 80,000 deaths a year. So when e-cigarettes came along, we were keen to consider how they might play into tobacco control. And to begin with, people were wary. But as data emerged, it became clear that e-cigarettes were being used by smokers effectively to stop smoking. Professor John Newton from Public Health England talking on American television last year. In the UK, e-cigarettes are regarded by health officials as a useful way of helping smokers quit. Linda Bald, Professor of Public Health at the University of Edinburgh. We have quite a different approach to Australia. And if, if you bear with me for a minute, I think it's just important to say something about the history of both uh, tobacco control and how we regard nicotine in the UK and to some extent in Europe. So we have uh, national guidance, in fact, a group that I chaired between 2011 and 2013 on what's called tobacco harm reduction, which essentially says that it's acceptable and should be supported that people can use nicotine to cut down their smoking with a view to quitting, to temporarily abstain from smoking and to avoid relapse to smoking once they've quit. And that means they can use nicotine products potentially for many years. So we support that. 
and lots of countries don't. We also give nicotine replacement therapy to pregnant women, and lots of countries don't. There's a big debate about nicotine in pregnancy. So when these cigarettes came on the market, you know, we regarded them as promising for tobacco cessation, and we supported their use by smokers who were trying to quit. From around 2011, we started to introduce some regulations, and then in 2016, through European law, we introduced really a fairly comprehensive regulatory system. So arguably, e-cigarettes are more tightly regulated in the UK and elsewhere in Europe than in many countries, as in short of a ban. They're only consumer products. People can buy them. They're not medicines, although we have had one device that was licensed as a medicine, but it's not available. And in the UK, we do promote them for smoking cessation. And in fact, I train general practitioners and talk to them about e-cigarettes and engage with them around encouraging their smokers who've tried to quit many times and failed to try an e-cigarette for smoking cessation. Is there any evidence that they do help people give up smoking cigarettes? Yeah, there's very strong evidence now. That's our view in the UK. So the evidence started to creep in from when the products became available in terms of observational studies, so surveys that showed that people were quitting. And also, you know, I do a lot of research with smokers and they were telling me that they'd successfully quit through vaping. And they were very vociferous about that, enthusiastic about the products. And then, of course, as time went on, we had better quality studies. And probably the best one was produced last year, a large trial in the New England Journal of Medicine, which randomized people to be provided with counseling and an e-cigarette or counseling and nicotine replacement therapy, which is commonly what we do in our national smoking cessation services. And the people who were vaping plus behavioral support were twice as likely to quit at one year. So that's good a good outcome for people. There is a big debate internationally, though. There's been a lot of work done in the US of variable quality, I have to say, that suggests that they're not very good for quitting. But in the UK, our smoking rates are declining rapidly and they've accelerated in recent years alongside promoting vaping. So in the UK, unlike in Australia, the view is that these products are helping people move away from tobacco. Is there any evidence that that is the main reason that people are using them in the UK? Oh, absolutely. So we've got loads and loads of surveys. In fact, we do one every year funded by Cancer Research UK called the AshuGov survey. We have another survey called the Smoking Toolkit, which collects data every single month from smokers and ex-smokers. When you ask people, these are adults, why are you using an e-cigarette? The single most common reason is either to quit smoking or cut down my smoking. The use of e-cigarettes in the UK is tightly regulated. We have a limit on the nicotine concentration of 20 milligrams per milliliter, which is half of that for products that are, for example, sold in the US or Canada. So that's a low level at supplies across Europe. We limit the size of the containers, the size of the tank, the size of the refills that can be bought. We also ban a number of flavorings and compounds. So diacetyl, for example, the products can't contain vitamins, which of course is vitamin E has been implicated in a recent outbreak of products, primarily cannabis products, but products in the US that are vaped. And most importantly, we have a product notification system, which means that any e-cigarette sold legally on the UK market has to declare its constituents, has to show that the emissions have been tested and that it doesn't contain any of the banned substances. And that data is submitted to our medicines healthcare regulatory agency. So I'm not saying the products are perfect and I'm not saying we don't have a black market because I'm sure we do, but we have introduced a proportionate regulatory system that protects consumers from some of the constituents that we know are harmful to health. Unlike nicotine patches and gum, e-cigarettes are not sold in a pharmacy. 
Given e-cigarettes are a commercially available consumer product, is there a risk that people who'd never consider smoking cigarettes will take up vaping? So let's just briefly talk about adults and then teenagers. And I think teenagers are probably who your question applies to. So in terms of the data from the UK, and we have excellent data, multiple sources, the rate of regular use of vaping amongst adults who've never smoked is minuscule. It's less than half a percent. And that hasn't changed over the last five, six, seven years. So basically, adults who've never smoked in their life are not vaping in any significant numbers. And in fact, the numbers are roughly the same for adults who've never smoked as the number or the proportion of adults who use nicotine replacement therapy who've never smoked, which you can imagine is probably pretty bizarre. Why would you chew NRT gum if you've never smoked? But people do. But in teenagers, is a slightly different picture. So obviously, like Australia, we've had huge success in reducing teen smoking rates. They're as low as 2 or 3% in 13-year-olds, 7 8% in 15-year-olds. So we do see teenagers trying e-cigarettes who've never smoked. And in fact, there's a higher proportion now of teenagers in the UK trying vaping than trying smoking, which from my perspective is, you know, it's good that so few of them are trying smoking. In terms of regular vaping amongst teenagers, again, there's a big international debate about this, but our figures suggest in the UK that although there's a lot of experimentation with vaping, relatively few of them, less than 1%, are vaping weekly, at least weekly, amongst teenagers. Um, so we don't seem to have an epidemic of youth use, and that may be because of our lower nicotine content, but also a point, sorry, that I didn't mention earlier is that we've banned almost all forms of e-cigarette marketing and advertising in the UK. And that was a purposeful step to protect young people. Do people who try vaping go on to smoke? There are studies from the US that definitely suggest that's the case. So there may be a gateway to smoking for some young people. But the real litmus test for me is what's happening with youth smoking rates at the population level. And those continue to decline, not just in the UK, but in the US, where we've seen big rises in teenage vaping much higher than in the UK. E-cigarette regulation varies across countries and states from outright bans to no regulation at all. While e-cigarettes may be a way for people to quit or reduce smoking, their safety and efficacy haven't been demonstrated to health authorities in the way that other smoking cessation aids have. At the same time, the e-cigarette industry, now worth billions of dollars, is substantially owned by international tobacco companies, guilty of doing everything possible to protect and promote their global cigarette market, despite the known health risks. Tom Novotny would like to see e-cigarettes banned. Well, I spent a couple of months in the UK last year, and I talked to many public health advocates and uh, scientists there. They have done a little better job on regulations. For instance, they've reduced the nicotine concentration to 20 milligrams in their e-cigarettes. Ours in the United States is 59 milligrams, which is about the equivalent of 20 cigarettes in one, for instance, a jewel pod. So some of this, I think, helps. But at the same time, I don't think that the evidence on safety is well worked out. I started out as a family doctor in a small town. I'm a public health physician. I worked for the Office on Smoking and Health for the Department of Health and Human Services in the Secretary's Office. I've been doing research on tobacco for 35 years. And I think that we don't really need e-cigarettes. We already have, actually, approved cessation devices such as Nicorette gum and uh, nicotine-containing patches and gels and inhalants. And so if people want to quit, we've got tools already in place, and this should be accompanied by counseling and support. 
as well as legislation that raises taxes and restricts smoking in public places and eliminates any kind of advertising or brand identification. So my sense is, as a public health physician, that the end point should be that we just ban this stuff. You know, I, I think that the, the most important way that people quit smoking is to quit cold turkey. And all methods are just a little bit better than that. And that's, to me, not a great reason to wholeheartedly allow this addictive drug to be so easily available to kids. And I think it's going to be very difficult to keep it out of their hands. So I think that the public health risks of this outweigh the public health benefits. Tom Novotny, Professor Emeritus of Public Health at San Diego University. The other guests were Linda Bald, Professor of Public Health at the University of Edinburgh, and Emeritus Professor Simon Chapman from the School of Public Health at the University of Sydney. Isabella Tropiano is the sound engineer for this Rear Vision. I'm Kerry Phillips. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.